Okay, guys, we are in Chapter 5. We're going to look at, again, another tale that we often hear in Sunday school, uh, and that's with reference to the writing on the wall, the hand that writes on the wall. Now, what I want you to do, though, is, yeah, you've, you've got the main idea of the story down in your mind, I want you to, however, understand that the main character in this story, again, is not Daniel. It's not even Belshazzar. The main character in the story that we're going to be looking at is God. Okay? God and his holiness and his sovereignty and his supremacy overall. Okay? So I just want you to recognize that as we look at this passage together this morning. Uh, Everybody got the piece of paper. Okay, this would be a good time to help you to understand. When you read this, when you read the chapter, there's some interesting things that come out of the chapter. So, for instance, you think Belshazzar is the only king. Actually, we're going to see that he's not the only king. And then you see an interesting thing when he rewards Daniel. He says he'll make Daniel the third person in the kingdom. Well, okay, well, that's interesting. Who's the second person? Okay, so you've got those kind of questions going on in your mind. So I just kind of wanted to fill you in on the historical background to what we're reading here about. Because it just doesn't go from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar. Okay, there's some years that are in between, and there's some kings who are in between. So I just want to kind of point it out to you, and and it's going to read to you like a soap opera. Okay, it's going to read read to you like like a bad B-movie that uh, that maybe you've seen about, okay? So what I want you to see is, number one, is Nebuchadnezzar's dad. Nebuchadnezzar was his dad. Then you've got Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, he reigned for about 57 years, okay? Wait a minute, that's not 50. That's uh, 43 years, excuse me. i got to read it backwards since it's B.C. So he reigned 43 years. Now, of course, in that time, there were seven years, remember, when he lost his mind. All right? Now, after him, he had a son, and his name was Edel Merodach. Evil Merodach. Now, he ruled from 562 to 560. He only ruled two years. Now, the reason why he only ruled two years is, is that his brother-in-law killed him. Okay, so if you look over at number four there, the brother-in-law married a daughter. We don't know what the daughter's name is. The daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, her husband, had him killed. All right, and so this husband rules from 560 to 556, so he rules about four years. He dies natural causes, or maybe not, okay, but his young son... So it's a real young son, then assumes the throne, which we see as number five there. But he only rules two months. Okay? He only rules two months because he's assassinated by his uncle, who is number six, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, who was married to another daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they mention the daughter's name there is Netrochris. Okay? He had had uh, the son of the other brother-in-law killed, so now he becomes king. 
Now, here's the interesting thing that happens. Three years after he becomes king, he allows his son to share the throne with him. And his son, who would be the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar now, is Belshazzar. So they have a, which is unusual for the ancient Near East, they have a co-regency. So they have co-kings. All right? So they have Nebuchadnezzar, who's not mentioned in Daniel at all, and Belshazzar as co-regents. Now, when we look at this story, this event in chapter 5, you're going to say, well, I only read about one guy here, Belshazzar. Where's the other guy at? Well, history tells us that while Belshazzar was back at the palace partying, his dad was with the army in another part of the empire trying to fight the Medo-Persians. Okay? And what ended up happening was, is first of all, Darius, when he takes the Medo-Persian king, when he takes Babylonia, when he takes Babylon itself, he defeats Babylon, kills Belshazzar, and then later on he meets Nebuchadnezzar on the field somewhere near but not there, and Nebuchadnezzar ends up surrendering. Okay, and so that was the end of the Babylonian Empire. All right, so this is kind of giving you a historical background of the passage that we're going to look at here because it, it'll help you make sense of the fact that uh, why in the world does he say the third person? Did you understand? And and who exactly is? If this is not Nebuchadnezzar's son, this is his grandson. Okay, so I just wanted you to see that. Also, this question came up last week. Is it possible that Nebuchadnezzar got saved? Well, yeah, it's possible. The text doesn't tell us that, but at least we know from history, I don't think his family got saved. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, I want to be in charge here. I'm going to kill you. You know know what I'm saying? They're whacking each other off here, okay? So just want you to realize that, all right? And we're going to actually see the heart of his... uh, of his grandson here in a moment, okay? So if you got your books, let's look at Daniel chapter 5, your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of thousands. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold, the silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, so let's take a look here. Add a couple of things here now. First of all, I want you to realize, let's have the setting here, because this is not just your normal party feast that's going on. This is obviously a big banquet that's being thrown here. But I need you to understand what's happening. This feast happens on a night while the city is under siege. Okay? So I want you to understand that. So it's not like the, 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 the Persians just showed up in the middle of the night and made, made way into the place and defeated it. They're under siege. The, Babylonian, the, the city of Babylon is under siege by the Medo-Persians. 
And Belshazzar, so this is kind of showing you his character a little bit, decides to throw her big shindig. Okay? It's sort of like knowing that the bill collectors are coming to take your house, and, uh, and you're deciding, I'm going to throw a big barbecue in the meantime. Okay? That's what's going on here. So let's look, first of all, the feast. Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and co-regent with his father. So that's just some introductory material there. So as we're reading this, we read that he's a king, but I'm just going to set the stage here for you. He was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and co-regent with the king. Now, you talk about a party. Belshazzar hosted a great feast for a thousand of his officials. Guys, you've got to think about the character of this guy. When we talk about a siege here, what they would do is an invading army would come in, and when they have a strong fortress city, like Babylon was, they would surround it and basically cut off anybody going in and coming out. So no food would go in. So after a while, what would disappear in the longer the siege, what would disappear in a, in a city that's being besieged? Food. If there was no water source, eventually the water would run out. And we know that from the fall of Jerusalem, both falls of Jerusalem and, and several other passages, it was very common for after the food ran out, they began to eat each other. Cannibalism would take place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Cannibalism would take place. So, hit, so you think about that. That's usually the setting of a siege. So this guy's going to throw a party and invite a thousand of his officials to it that are in the city, okay? Now, here's what he decides to do, though, because this is interesting, and you've got to understand the arrogance of this. The king commanded that the vessels from the temple be used at the feast. Now, remember, all the way in chapter 1, remember it told you in the first few verses of chapter 1 that when Nebuchadnezzar took Jerusalem, they... They destroyed the temple, and he took vessels from the vessels. There could be cups or plates or whatever. These were consecrated to God from the temple, took them back. Now, you have to understand, they're a polytheistic culture. The reason why he would want to use these is not just like, hey, bring out Grandma's china. We're going to use that tonight for our party. There's a symbolism going on here. They're in a war. They think they're great. They think they're going to be okay. And maybe in this feast, they want to remind themselves of how great they are by, first of all, we're going to use the vessels of the God that we already defeated, which was who? Jehovah, the God of Israel, Yahweh. So they use these vessels, okay? They use these vessels. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see. The vessels were used for drinking wine as the false gods were praised. So these vessels were used for drinking their wine while the false gods are praised. Now, let me just help you understand, because when you read in the Old Testament, you'll see often you see the word concubine. Anybody know what a concubine is? Yeah, Denny. Uh, okay, not a surrogate wife. That, that's a good... Yeah, it's a wife, though. Anybody else have any understanding? Huh? Uh, no. No, they're not harlots, although that's close in what they're used for. Okay? All right. 
Okay, here's what a concubine is, okay? We don't have that in our culture, in our legal system. A concubine is a lesser wife, okay? She has no legal standing in their culture. A concubine has no legal standing. The sole purpose of a concubine is for sex, okay? It's a way of marrying but the person you're marrying, you're only marrying her for sex, okay? And she does not have any standing. Like, so, for instance, if you die, her children would be the heirs, not your concubine's children. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So when you read this, you'll read that, you know, the officials, their wives, and their concubines, all right? So that's what's going on here. It's a lesser wife. So, for instance, when you go over to the book of Judges, You'll read about a, a Levite who had a concubine. You remember that story about the Levite who had a concubine? And, of course, there was a thing where she got raped and killed, and he cut her up into pieces and sent it out through all Israel, and that's when they almost wiped out the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? You say, well, why didn't he make her her wife? Well, because it has to do with legal standing and who gains an inheritance. Okay, she, her whole sole purpose for him was sex. Okay, you say that's a pretty crude culture. That's what it was back then. Okay, that's what it was back then. So I just want you to understand. So this is what's going on here. Okay, so Tom, in a way, you're right. You said a harlot because a harlot is used for sex. This is a legitimate means of that. Okay, all right. Now look. Now here's what happens. They're doing this. They're praising the gods of money. They're praising their false gods, using the vessels of the Lord. Now look what happens. Look with me at verse 5 through 12. We're going to see the appearance of the hand. In the same hour, so about the same time as this party is going on, the fingers of a hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw part of the hand that wrote. Wow. Okay. Then the king's countenance changed. Okay, that's a nice way of saying he got freaked out. Okay. I mean, he lost the color in his face. All right. I mean, so look. And his thoughts were tr troubled him. Of course they would be. All right. And then notice, and the joints of his hips were loosened. What does that mean? He got weak in the knees. Look at that. And his knees knocked against each other. Okay, do you think he was doing okay? Yeah, he was scared. Okay. Hey, bro, if, if, if a hand just appeared and started writing on the wall here, I think we'd all be scared, right? Okay. Yeah, we're going to see that later in the morning passages when Jesus appears in a room they get freaked out, too. Folks, people get freaked out when they see things that they're not used to seeing. Okay? All right? Let's go on now. And the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And this king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be made third ruler in the kingdom. Everybody understand why the third ruler now, okay? Look at what it says. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing nor make known the king its interpretation. 
Then Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like in, in all the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as, an, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called that he may give the interpretation. Okay, so let's take a look here. With the same hour, a hand appears and wrote on the wall. So, unusual event, okay? Hand appears, wrote on the wall. Let me just stop for a moment. I want, you to, I want you to realize something. This is the only time this type of event appears in the Bible. Actually, when you see God do miracles in the Bible, they're only one-time events. He doesn't repeat himself. So don't go looking for a hand to write on your wall at home, okay? God, what do I need to do? Write it on the wall for me. He's not going to do that, okay? So God doesn't normally act the same way all the time. We have a tendency to look for how he has done things in the past and want to see him do the same thing again. God doesn't normally do that, okay? So here he is. A hand appeared and wrote on the wall. And here's the thing. The king saw the hand. The king saw the hand. And so here's this fear. The king was struck with terror when he saw the hand writing on the wall. Of course he would be. Okay? And all those nice little things that are being said there about his countenance changing, about uh, his thoughts being troubled, and the hips of his were loosened and his knees were knocking, that just means he got freaked out. Okay? He just got freaked out. Okay? How many of you have ever been really scared? And somebody really scared you. How did you act then? You know what I'm saying? Besides running. You know what I'm saying? I mean, think of it ten times worse than that with this guy. Okay? Let's go on now. Here's the interpretation. So the king cried out for the wise men. He calls the same guys as they always do, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, the soothsayers. He calls them to come and interpret the writing. Okay? Come on over here. Help me figure this out. But here again... The wise men were not able to read the writing and to make the interpretation. So, of course, they come. They're probably looking at it, trying to figure it out. They can't make the interpretation. They don't know what's going on here. So, look at what it says now. It's going to, verse 9 again, it's going to tell us the, the, what's going on with the king. The king was visibly troubled. And others noticed it. Now, why would that be significant here? Well, again, remember now, they're under siege. They're having this party in spite of the siege, in spite of the war that's going on. The countenance of a king basically would, would, would 
how the king was would, con- would convey the morale of the situation. So you've got a king here who's really bothered, and all the other officials are noticing it. In fact, they, it, it script, the New King James says, astonished. It can also be translated perplexed. They were perplexed. They're like, what in the world's going on with this guy? You know? So, because they maybe are doing this as a show. Do you understand? The feast is a show about how great they are in spite of what's going to happen. All right? So now, look at the queen's suggestion. So his queen hears about this. She comes. Obviously, the queen didn't go to these parties. Okay? Did you notice that the text says she came to the banquet hall? She obviously didn't go to the party. All right? So the queen suggested that the king consult Daniel for the interpretation. She goes to the king and says, Oh, king... Don't you remember your father, Nebuchadnezzar? Now, you and I, when we read that with our Western mindset, are thinking, well, that must, Nebuchadnezzar must be his daddy. No, no, you don't understand. In their culture, your grandparents, your grandfather or your great-grandfather would be referred to as your father. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're your, fa- they're your father's. Okay, we make the distinction of saying grand or great-grand or great-great-grand. They didn't do that back then. Okay, because I already showed you he's pretty far removed from when Nebuchadnezzar was king. Do you understand? So here's what I want you to see. It says your father. So it's talking about his grandfather. All right, his grandfather. So she comes and reminds him, hey, there was this guy back when your granddaddy was king, and he was pretty sharp. And the spirit of the living God was on him, and he could solve riddles and, and interpret dreams, and he, he served your granddaddy really well. You need to call him. All right? So she makes that suggestion. So she reminded the king of Daniel's service to Nebuchadnezzar. So she reminds him all that he did for her grand, his granddaddy. Okay? And then, so Daniel is brought to the king. He summons Daniel. And it brings him to the king. Look with me at verse 13 through 16. Then Daniel is brought before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you the Daniel who is one of the captives of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and astrologers have been brought in before me, and they sh- that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. I have heard of you that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be made the third ruler of the kingdom. Okay? So here's what he does. First thing that's interesting to me is the king questions his identity. So he says, bring me Daniel. So they bring Daniel, and they're like, are you Daniel? But then later on you'll hear him say, well, I've heard of you. So he doesn't personally know Daniel, okay? This is interesting. He hasn't personally met Daniel, so he's got to identify him, all right? So the king recalls his past service and reputation. So the king reflects upon what he knows about Daniel here. So he's going to reflect his past service and his reputation, The king asked Daniel to read the writing if he can. So even the king's not even sure that Daniel can read it, but he says, look, it's possible if you can read this, read it 
tell me what it says, and I'll reward you. In fact, that's what he says. The king would reward him for interpreting the writing. So again, notice again it says, I'll make you the third ruler. Why the third ruler? Because they have two rulers already. Who? Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. So the third guy would be who? Daniel, if he can do this. That's the reward. All right? So now, let's look at the interpretation. We're going to see in verse 17 through 28. Look at what it says. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another, yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Because of the majesty that he gave, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whoever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was like the beasts, and his dwelling was like wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand, who owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, many, many, tekel, absurson. This is the writing for each word, many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Curses. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Belshazzar then gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Okay, so let's take a look here. First of all, Daniel tells the king to keep his reward. Now, first of all, I want you to notice do you sense any respect in what Daniel's saying here? When you read that passage, look at what he, how he addresses the king. We saw how he addressed King Nebuchadnezzar before. Obviously, there was some sort of relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't have a relationship with King Belshazzar here. And so do you notice any respect here when he, he says, No, you just keep your gift. I don't need your gift. But I'm going to tell you the interpretation. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's some boldness here from this old guy, okay? Because by this time, Daniel's old. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's old. And have you noticed that when you get older, you just don't care anymore? Have you noticed that? 
Am I the only one like that? You know, when you're younger, you're kind of, you're kind of worried, you know, about what are people going to think. But when you get older, you just don't care anymore. And you notice the older they get, the less they care. Okay, well, Daniel's that way here. He doesn't care. All right. Let's go on now. Look at what happened. Daniel reminds the king of the judgment that God placed on Nebuchadnezzar. Now, think about this. We just read about this last week in Daniel chapter 4. Remember about the king losing his mind? being stripped of his kingdom for seven years until he came to the place of recognizing that who's in control? God's in control. So Daniel's reminding the king here, don't you remember what happened to your granddaddy? When he refused to acknowledge God? Okay? So he's letting him know God is the one who sets up kingdoms, king. And you should, you of all people should know that lesson. Okay? You of all people, because it happened to your granddaddy. And it's very possible, listen to me, that Belshazzar may have been alive when that happened. You understand? He's a grandson. He may have been younger, but he may have been around when granddaddy lost it. Okay? So he, he's, right, so look what he says here. The king points out that the king's pride in his sin against God by profaning the vessels of the temple. So he goes one step further and says, don't you remember what happened to your granddaddy? And, about, and then this God who did that to your granddaddy, you're taking his vessels from his temple and using them for your drunken feast here. You are profaning him. And let's stop for a moment. They did intentionally take those vessels. Why? Because the feast had to be a show that everything's going to be okay, even though there's this war going on around them, and, and the enemy is outside the gates. It's a big show, and they're, and they're showing off that, hey, we're the great Babylonians. We defeated the Israelites in Judah, and here's their vessels from their God. But Daniel's saying, hey, you know what? This is the God who did this to your granddaddy. You're profaning him. You're blaspheming him. And it's because of your pride, king. Let's go on now. So Daniel tells the king that the hand and the writing are from God. So the God that he's blaspheming and profaning is the God who wrote on the wall. Okay? Who sent this message. So here's what he says. God has pronounced judgment on his kingdom. First thing. God has pronounced judgment on his kingdom. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to think about this for a moment. What kind of courage does Daniel have? Now, you're talking some serious courage here, don't you? Because, I mean, you're talking about it in a day when people came and get told to king, especially when they're scared and freaked out and your army's outside. You don't bring bad reports. Because you just read about Nebuchadnezzar. He could kill who he wanted to, you know, you know. This is the kind of power the guy had. There is no court system. He says, take him out, kill him, that's it. So even in spite of this, he's going to proclaim what God has said here and wrote on the wall. And he's saying to them, hey, your, your kingdom is numbered, buddy. There's judgment on your kingdom here. Let's go on. God has measured the king and found him lacking. Wow. God has measured him. Now, he measures all of us. Do you know what I'm saying? He's not just Belshazzar here, but God measures all of us. How are we doing? I think we're all lacking, right? Okay? 
This king's lacking, all right? And then God has given the kingdom to the Medes and the Persians. Now, that would probably make you want to choke, because you know they're sitting right outside the kingdom. They're sitting right outside the city gate. Okay? So, here's what happens. Look at verse 29. Daniel is rewarded by being made the third ruler of the kingdom. Probably the shortest rulership in the world. Because within just a few hours, it ends. Okay? No wonder Daniel said, you just keep it. It doesn't matter. Okay? You just keep it. And then what happens is this. Belshazzar is killed that very evening. That very evening, he loses his life. He's killed by the Medo-Persians. And here's what happens. The Babylonian Empire was defeated by Darius, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Let me tell you how he did it. Remember I told you that fortress cities had to have a source of food, so they would have stockpiles of food, but they also had to have a source of water. They had to have a source of water to get into the kingdom. Now, how the Babylonians did it was, is they had a river go right through their fortress. Okay? Now, I don't know how... Maybe they had a wall over the river, but that was how the water came through. So what the Medo-Persians did, and it's smart how they did it, they diverted the river. So you think about how much slave, they didn't have backhoes back then, and they didn't have track hoes and, and bulldozers and stuff. You're talking about slave labor. Probably they got the people that they had captured as they were coming to basically get out there with a shovel and shovel dirt to di- divert the river. So the river was diverted, so the water stops going into the city, and guess, instead of water coming under, guess who comes under? The Medo-Persians come under, they open the city gates, and the city is taken. That's historical fact. And that night, King Belshazzar is dead. And thus ends the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire ends. And he was defeated by a 62-year-old Medo-Persian by the name of Darius. Of Darius. Here's the thing. How do we apply this to our lives? This now is of of the five chapters is once again the reference to the fact that when it comes to kings and it comes to authorities in a land, who is the one who sets them up? That's true in democracies too, folks. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's true in democracies as well. God is the one. So, you know what? Don't get freaked out by who's in control. Don't get freaked out by who's in charge of Russia. Don't get freaked out by the young guy in North Korea. Don't get freaked out by the guy who's in the White House or the guy who's in Harrisburg or the guy who's the three who are sitting in the county commissioners in our county here. Don't get freaked out by all of that. God is the one who raises them up. God is the one who takes them down. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you and I need to recognize that. We get so weirded out by the whole thing, you know, because we're listening to Glenn Beck and Rush Limbaugh, and they're, like, really freaking us out, you know. Quit listening to them. Quit listening to CNN, okay? Listen to what God says. He's the one who's in control. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so here's the thing I want you to see. This is what comes out of this passage. Just as soon as he brings them down, he can take them down. And that's the lesson that Belshazzar was to learn here. The main character in this passage isn't Belshazzar, isn't Daniel. The main character is God. 
and he's in control, and he does not tolerate people profaning him. Do you understand? Okay? All right, grab some coffee in the back, guys.